0: I felt like I didn't even know where to begin anymore. I didn't have any of like my normal context. Like internally, I just kind of felt out of sorts and restless, and I just didn't know my place. Hey
1: everyone, my name is Michael Howard, and welcome to the Musée podcast.
0: is Ashley Coleman and I photograph life around me in Mississippi whether that is my children or people that I meet while we are out exploring or old buildings and I'm sure that comes a little bit under documentary photography but just documenting photographing life as I see it when I graduated from high school, I took a gap year, and I worked for most of the year and saved up, and then for a couple months, I went to Europe, and when I did, my dad sent me with his Canon 35 millimeter camera, and I'd always watched him take photographs, but I never was the one taking the pictures. And so he would always talk to me about what he was doing. So I had some idea of what to do, but before I left, he kind of gave me a crash course and then sent me with a bunch of film and his camera, which when I think about doing that with my kids, I don't know that I would trust them (laughs) with my camera, (laughs) (laughs) Right. but he did. So he sent me off and that was kind of my first introduction to photography as well as, you know, someplace other than home and I really loved the process of composing a photo even though I had like I said no idea exactly what I was doing and when I got home you know we got everything developed and processed and that was it was fun to see the results but then over time and like through college photography was something that became associated with traveling for me so whenever I traveled I would take a lot of pictures and the two kind of went hand in hand in college I studied art history and English and my last year my last semester I had a chance to do a darkroom class but opted out of it and I still regret that oh, no. but I had <laughs> <laughs> I had been taking more and more photographs but still I just viewed it as a hobby and something you know that I really enjoyed but I didn't take seriously and I went and worked in an art gallery for a few years and while I was there I would photograph art and you know events and things of that sort and friends started asking if I would photograph their weddings so I moved a little bit in that direction although it was very tentative since I was still working full-time in the gallery when my husband and I got married in 2010, I moved here to Mississippi and working in a gallery wasn't an option since we were living in a very rural community. So he encouraged me just to pursue photography more purposefully. And that's when I really dove into honing my skills for, you know, family sessions and weddings, you know, and since then have done families and weddings. But at some point, I realized I was a little bit burned out because I was only working on work for clients, and I had stopped taking the photos that I just enjoyed, things that I saw. So around that time, a friend gave me, it was 2013, a friend gave me a film camera, and that just reignited the love that I had for photography and then shooting film again, because I had switched to digital for client work. Just shooting film, I love the process and I love the pace. So since 2013 I have been shooting more and more personal projects until that probably (laughs) that has consumed and you know, I do fewer weddings and more projects on my own with the end goal of having a show or Mm -hmm. just having them. (laughs) Yeah. So that's sort of been my trajectory i shoot exclusively film for the personal projects and i do a little bit of hybrid work for weddings and families it just depends on the situation
1: gotcha with the film anybody that shoots film i was curious to kind of how you manage it Mm -hmm. are you developing and scanning yourself or do you outsource that
0: no i have three children five and under so i okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't i realized that I would have to delegate and one day i would love to do that myself but in the meantime in order to continue creating and kind of having a little piece of sanity right. i <laughs> i delegate that and richard photo lab develops and processes everything and i love working with them they are wonderful
1: awesome cool yes i was curious because everybody does it a little different so yeah it definitely intrigued me because you know you definitely have got the two genres that I've you know found with the wedding stuff. And then also your, I would say, you know, whatever, fine art or personal work, however you want to label it. Let's talk a little bit about your more personal work. Okay. And then kind of towards the end, we'll talk some about weddings as well. So tell me about the piece of My Heart project you have on your site. What's that about for you?
0: So when I moved to Mississippi, I was newly married and moving to a different state. I was raised in South Carolina and I assumed that I was moving from one Southern state to another Southern state and that there would be little to no difference, which is inaccurate. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I also, I grew up in Columbia, which is a mid-sized town. I always viewed it as a small town compared to Boston or New York or other places I had visited. However, when I got to Takapola. Which is where we lived. I realized that I was not a small town girl; <laughs> that Columbia was much bigger than I had realized, and I was now actually living in a small town. I think the population's around 175 people. Oh well. Wow. We were not far from Oxford, where the University of Mississippi is, so that is wonderful and most wonderful. But I, it was disorienting to move into a small town, newly married not having any other connections to Mississippi other than my husband, and try to acclimate myself. And there were multiple layers. And also, you know, going from working in a gallery to focusing more on developing my business, it was, I wasn't sure how to introduce myself to people anymore. You know, when you grow up in one place, people know your parents or know where you went to school or where you went to church or there are lots of layers of how people can kind of figure out who you are you know where you have a starting point for a conversation Mm -hmm. and I felt like I didn't even know where to begin anymore I didn't have any of like my normal context it was just all stripped, it was all stripped away. And I mean, I was very happy and I loved our home and I loved the little town, Tacapola. but it was just like internally, I just kind of felt out of sorts and restless and I just didn't know my place. And so as I was processing that and thinking through it, it took a while and we started walking through Tacopola in the evenings. We just walked this one loop And once we had kids, you know, we would all go. And as we walked, I would always bring my camera and I started photographing things. And the project just sort of came from me trying to see the beauty where we were. Mm -hmm. And because I grew to really love Takapola and really, really love the people there, I miss them a lot. So the photographs were and are my way of showing appreciation to the people and the place for the impact they had in my life during that season. And just to show the beauty in this area where you literally could just drive by and not <laughs> not even really <laughs> notice. There's like a little grocery store, gas station, and they have a flower shop now, which shocked me when it went in. But I think they do business in other small towns. But other than that, in the post office, there really isn't anything there. But it just is a very rich community, and I found that fascinating, that somewhere that is easily overlooked can be so rich and have such deep roots and just such a sweet community of people. So that's where that project began and what it's about.
1: Mm. Where I grew up, we had, within the city limits, it was less than 1,000. Oh, wow. But we were only 15 minutes from... A city that was like a quarter million, so it wasn't that rural, where you're just like, you know, an hour from anywhere. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. How long did you live there?
0: I lived there for six and a half years. Okay. Josiah bought the house as his bachelor project, so he had lived there already and had been working on. The house. It was an old farmhouse. It's about 120 years old. He had been working on restoring it before we met and got married. So he was there for 12 years altogether.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And I'm assuming just everybody knows everybody.
0: Yes. And he joined the volunteer fire department. So he got to know most of the men in the community that way. And it was really sweet when our first daughter was born it was the volunteer fire department that hosted like a baby shower for us, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was really sweet of them to do. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. I was kind of interested a little bit about the photo. I don't know if it's your daughter or mm-hmm. a child, but you got the red sweater with the blue bird. Mm-hmm. What, what <laughs> <the> story behind <laughs> that? The color in that is just incredible.
0: <laughs> we have two cats and we were there one weekend and I kind of heard them outside on the porch and so I walked outside and there was a bluebird and I don't know if the bluebird had already expired before the cats found it or if they had caught it but it was there and it looked so beautiful that I knew immediately that I wanted to photograph it and just I love bluebirds they're my favorite and so it made me sad that it had passed away but i was also a little bit excited (laughs) that i would finally get to photograph one normally they don't like people very much so they're skittish so you don't get to see them very much at least where we are yeah so i photographed the bird where it was on the porch and then in the yard and then mary mack our daughter came outside and i thought huh, maybe I should see if she would be willing to hold it for me. <laughs> and so she, you know, was a trooper. And I just had her cup her hands and I put the bird in her hands and took some photographs of that. And then we washed her hands. Don't worry, <laughs> we did not. We made sure that she got her hands clean. But um, it was a little bit of my way of, remembering the bird (laughs) and just acknowledging it. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that series of photos. And Mary Max still talks about the time that we took pictures with the dead bird.
1: That's great. If she
0: finds other birds, she'll come tell me. But none of them are in such good shape. (laughs) For lack of a better word, that bird just looked like it just kind of fell out of the sky. (laughs) So so that's where that series of photos came from. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So everything you do with your personal work is all Hasselblad square format?
0: For the last year and a half, it has been. Okay. I have a Pentax and a Leica, but I don't know. I can't get into the groove with them, which I know is probably sacrilege to say about a Leica. People are going to hate me, but whenever <laughs> I take pictures with the Leica and I get them back... I think, ugh, I wish i just shot that with my Hasselblad. <laughs> right. And so, I just don't know if that's just the season I'm in, and one day it'll change this year. Something I'm going to do on the side is I want to just have black and white film in the Leica and have it out, you know, wherever I am on the counter in the house so that I'll get used to using it more, but it hasn't felt as natural as the Hasselblad does, mm-hmm. so the majority of the photos come from that camera.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause it seemed like when it was on your site, it's just all looks square.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't know if you're cropping it or if you're no. shooting. Cause I saw some, you know, you're about and things like that where you're holding a blood, So I was just curious.
0: So I started off with a mimiya that a friend gave me and I went out West with my in-laws when our oldest daughter was maybe 18 months, and they were going out to Montana to get a puppy. And so we rode with them in the RV because I wanted to see more of the West. And we stopped in Wyoming to visit my mother-in-law's brother. And so I had the Mamiya out, and I was tinkering with it. And Uncle Bob said, is that an old film camera? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he's like, you can still get film for that? And I was like, yes, you can. And he was like, okay, I'll be right back. And I was sitting at the dining room table eating dinner and he came back with a camera bag and it was the Hasselblad with all of its attachments and everything. And I opened it up and he's like, do you know what this is? And I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) He's like, it's just sitting on my desk. It's just collecting dust. And so he gave it to me Oh wow! and I was like, are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) But he was like, no one else is going to use it. And so that's how I ended up with the blood, fairly early on. And that's probably why it feels like second nature to use it.
1: That's fantastic. Looking through this piece of my heart project, really everything on your art website, you really do a great job of capturing kind of a sense of place or Thank like, you. I don't know how you'd say it, like how it feels to be there. When I look at the photos, I feel like I understand what that place is about or what it feels like to be there, Mm -hmm. which I think is really hard to capture. Mm -hmm. I think that's something as photographers, I think we try to do a lot, but it's hard to actually do it successfully. I don't know if that's a subconscious thing that you do, or if there's anything you can say or articulate about that.
0: I don't know if this will really, or if it ties back in, but at the moment I feel like it does. Okay, But so we, ended up having to sell our farmhouse in Takapola and we closed last July and I still get really emotional about it. I've been back once or twice and it's always been really hard for me by and I've never photographed the place after leaving but when I was pulling all the images together and realizing that I had been photographing it for five or six years and so I was just pulling all of the images and going through them and realizing that I wanted to do something with them mm-hmm. I felt like there were maybe a couple gaps and so I went back one weekend and I you know shot while I was there and I got the pictures back And I looked at them and I was just like, these are horrible. (laughs) It was like my heart wasn't there. And it was. And I don't know if it's because I felt it was this weird thing of even though we lived there and we know everyone, I felt like I shouldn't be there photographing anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if I was just rushing because I just felt, I don't know, I just had this sense of being in the way or, you know, (laughs) I don't know. People were used to seeing me with my camera, but the pictures just don't—I'm not going to include them because they just don't work. Yeah. And so I don't know if something about that series is just living there and loving you know, the place and the people and just really enjoying waking up in the morning. Our house was surrounded on three sides by a soybean field, and then directly across the street from it is an old, abandoned Methodist church. That's how it started. I just loved Old Sardis, the church, so much that I would photograph it whenever there were different clouds, or the sun was setting, or the light was hitting it a different way. So I have, you know, way too many photographs of just the church. And then from there, it expanded to the rest of the town. But I wonder if some of it is just really loving where I was, even though it was hard for me at times. Mm -hmm. that's the only thing (laughs) that's the only thing I could think might be it yeah
1: and I think part of it even like for me when I look at like the main photos Mm -hmm. because those have a bit of a you know obviously it seems like a trip like a travel feel Mm -hmm. kind of thing where you know I could see something like that being like an editorial assignment of documenting some small town in Maine and so you want to capture a sense of place and feeling what it's like Mm -hmm. to visit there. So you can kind of transport the readers Mm -hmm. to there. So it's something you do really well with part of his composition, I feel like, where you're only including what's absolutely necessary. I think it's reducing a place down to its core, I would say. Like you're not including so many elements that it it's distracting or it's hard to visually get what you're doing
0: <laughs> thank you it was funny I was just thinking about it yesterday or this morning I was looking at a friend's work that I really love and I love how they break it down even more mm-hmm. and then I was looking at my own work and I was like oh it's so busy <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I need to like calm down <laughs> so right. it's funny that you <laughs> take away something different
1: Yeah, no, I don't feel like yours are busy at all. You know, where you're shooting, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I'm just trying to look through this main uh, portfolio quick. But like your.
0: The main work, I have been going to Maine with my family since I was 13. Okay. So it's another (laughs) place that I have. There are a lot of memories and connections there. Gotcha. And the work that is up is from just two summers of being up there. But. I think that is probably some of it is that I have an actual connection (laughs) to to the place.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like when you go somewhere new, you want to shoot the obvious things. Right. And I feel like you don't shoot the obvious things.
0: I try not to. I've always been attracted to photographing, and I'm sure most photographers are. This is nothing new. But photographing things that are overlooked or... Mm -hmm. Just a little more subtle. In college, I took as many Russian literature classes as I could. And what has stuck with me all these years is I think Tolstoy was the one who did it the most, but he would defamiliarize things that were familiar to us in his writing. You know, he didn't write about stop signs, but if it was a stop sign, he would write about it in a way that would make you think oh my word, I've never seen that before or I haven't looked at it in 20 years and really, really seen it. Right. And so he does that in his writing with other things, but I have taken that to heart for photography that I would love to see things in a fresh way. And sometimes I can't do it, but sometimes, <laughs> at least I try to, in each photograph, see him in a new way.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break from the podcast and we're going to talk a little bit about what we're doing at the Patreon page over at Musea. We started a Patreon page that helps support the podcast. It's patreon.com slash Musea. And what that does is it helps the podcast grow, helps kind of cover some of our costs for editing post-production and making sure the podcast sounds great, is efficient listening, and that we're not filling it with a bunch of pauses or ums or things like that and we can move audio around to make sure it is the best way to listen to an episode and so all that just takes time and money we outsource that we have a great editor that we work with to get that done but beyond that we also started the patreon page to start building a community around the podcast and i think one of the things that i envision for the future of the patreon page is eventually having meetups around the country whether they're you know probably going to be free events where we just people that listen to the podcast and support us on Patreon page we get to meet up get together meet each other do some things or maybe do some possibly some photo walks or things that we can just do that are free that don't you know require us to rent a huge space or anything like that I think eventually we could bring some paid education events back and Patreon supporters would get access to tickets first reduced tickets things like that So we really want to make it beneficial to be a Patreon supporter of the podcast that you get value out of it for helping support the podcast. And then we get value out of it because we get to grow it and we get to pour funds into it and we get to take it to new places. Some of the ideas I have for this podcast and why we need funding is to do some really in-depth reporting. One of the new ideas I have is possibly digging through the history of photography and looking at some stories we could tell about past masters, really nuanced things that maybe haven't been told before or aren't very well known. And all those just take time, research, it takes a team of people to do that and we need to be able to hire and pay people. And so it just requires more than just me being a one man show. We need to extend this and make it a production. And that's where we like to head. And so the more support we can get there, the more we can grow up. All we're asking for is like $5 a month, $10 a month. And we will do what we can to provide value beyond just the two episodes we have a month. We want to provide value in other ways to our Patreon supporters and uh, really get a community going there. So if there's something you're interested in, you just go to patreon.com musea, connect with us, connect with me. And we will grow this thing into something awesome and tell some amazing stories. All right, back to the podcast. What is your this cloud of witnesses project about? I mean, it, for me, obviously, there's like the flooding and so mm-hmm. everything with Houston right now. It seems relevant,
0: right? <laughs> so sad what they're experiencing. Yeah. So this project stemmed from. Actually, from wedding work, I was preparing a styled shoot, and I wanted a location that had an abandoned church. And in Mississippi, there are unfortunately plenty of abandoned buildings and churches. So, I was doing research online for ghost towns or abandoned towns or deserted towns, like whatever I could find on, you know, on that. And I came across Rodney. Mississippi, which at one time was, when it was still the territory, Rodney was three votes shy of being the capital of the territory. So it was a big, thriving town right on the Mississippi River. It was the largest port between New Orleans and St. Louis, and, you know, had multiple banks and an opera house and hotels and, you know, tons of businesses. So And then there was a Civil War battle there as well, which is interesting. The Red Brick Church, I think some Union soldiers came to go to church, and it's a Presbyterian church. They went to go to church, and I think some Confederates heard that they were going to be there. And so they attacked and took them hostage. And when the Union gunboat, which was on the river, found out they started firing in at the town. And so there's a cannonball still lodged in the facade of the church oh, from it being hit. Wow. And I think eventually they sorted things out. So it just has a lot of history, the town does. So I did the styled shoot there and I went down several times in preparation for the shoot and I just fell in love with it, the place. I think I drove for 30 minutes, and I did not see anyone. I passed houses and stuff, but the first time I went, I didn't see anyone. So it was very, a little eerie, and you drive down this really big hill, and the road turns into a dirt road, and there's just like a T intersection, and you're there, and there are two people that still live in Rodney, two families. But other than that it's the two churches that are abandoned. There was a brick store that you can see the outline of it in one of the images. It's since been dismantled and the bricks were sold to be repurposed for someone's home or something. And there were a couple other buildings like falling down. But other than that, it's just, oh, and there's some hunting camps because there's just a lot of land there now for hunting. But it's just kind of this I don't know. It's just bizarre to me that something can be so close to <laughs> being a capital of a state and now there's nothing there and no one lives there.
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that red, as I'm kind of looking at your photos as you're talking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier about being able to capture a sense of place. So that, that red brick church you mm-hmm. mentioned with the cannonball. Yes. It's little the decisions you're making, I find interesting. So like in that photo, you've put the tree branches in focus and you left the church out of focus, mm-hmm. which seems counterintuitive. <laughs> it's like, why would you do that? But it <laughs> works because it creates a, a you focus on the reflection a little bit more in the water, puts more of a focus on the flood, Right, but it also creates a softness, you know, kind of like a dreamy, I don't know, creates a little more of an emotional feel. I feel like.
0: Well, thank you. That experience to go back a couple of steps, a sandbar formed in the river. And so now the river is three miles or further away from Rodney. And so last January, there was a lot of rain in the Midwest or, I don't know, further up. And Mississippi didn't get a lot of rain, but the river just kept rising. And so it flooded, you know, three miles inland to Rodney. Wow. And I heard that it was happening... And someone told me that the river was supposed to crest on such and such a day. And so I, I talked to my husband, and so we just loaded the kids into the car really early to get down there. I wanted to see the sunrise. And so there's one picture where it's just Josiah's car headlights on the church, and it's just everything else is black. And you can kind of tell that there's water in front of it. But it ended up being an overcast day, so not a great sunrise. But I borrowed waders from a friend and I never used waders before, (laughs) but I had like my camera and my tripod and I was familiar enough from being down there for the shoot. And now I take anyone who comes to visit to Rodney because I just think it's such a fascinating place. So I was familiar with the lay of the land. And so when I was walking, I was comfortable walking in the water because I generally knew where things were, although I walked very slow and I was a little terrified of like an alligator or something, <laughs> but I was like, it's January. It's too cold. Alligators are cold blooded. They don't want to be in this water. <laughs> so yeah. I was like talking myself down, Right. but I walked out to the white church, which is the Baptist church and the water just was still rising. It got, probably within two inches or three inches of me having to turn around because of the waiters. Mm -hmm. But I was able to get into the church and the water was still in the church. And I got in there into the building and the only sound was the water lapping against the side. And it just made me cry. It was just so beautiful to be there and so peaceful and yet so devastating (laughs) just all at once. I don't know. It was one of the most surreal things that I've ever experienced. And also just, I don't know. There's something about it that was just very peaceful and restorative and it doesn't make sense entirely. But when I was just walking, I was just like, this is so beautiful and yet, so, so sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I went down five times, like three days in a row. And then two more times after that, while the water was receding to photograph it. Because it was one of those things where people say it's not supposed to flood again for another hundred years, but who knows if it will or not. But that's where those came from, just the time there. And I also played around with double exposures there for the first time, which I enjoyed. So it's just a fun, I don't know. It just made me remember why I love taking photographs, just being there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As a kind of a melancholy about it, which I really love though. The fog image is really fantastic too. Mm-hmm.
0: That was the first day it just rolled in unexpectedly. I was like, we were about to leave. And all of a sudden I looked up and there was fog. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> it's
1: perfect. Yeah. It seems like a movie or something. Yeah. So, it seems like you're, has this gone through your website, you know, you're submitting to exhibits and Mm -hmm. things like that. What do you think of that process? Do you, like, enjoy submitting? Is it kind of a necessary evil just to get your work out there? Um, Because it's, it's different than being, like, submitting for, like, wedding things. Right. It's, like, a different world.
0: I look at it, at least right now, as a discipline of, I'm going to do it to kind of stretch myself and do something outside of my comfort zone. I've also found that it's helped me articulate, at least to myself, what I'm doing. And so having to write you know, a little statement about the images and talk about them, it's really helped me. And it's also helped me learn how to like cull through my own work. I asked an older photographer, I was like, how do you decide which images are the ones to show. And she was like, they speak to you. And at the time, I thought, that's not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, they're not speaking to me. Or they're all speaking to me. (laughs) So something's going wrong. But the more I've looked at them and the more I've submitted to places, I realized that she's right. There are certain images that do speak to you or speak to other people. And you start, or at least I've been able to start telling A little more quickly. This one will work and this one's not going to work. And so even though my rejection folder is far bigger, (laughs) I still appreciate the process of going through and articulating what I'm doing and figuring out which images fit for the submission and why. And so it's good for me to do it, especially just since I have a little people at home it's not like I'm in school getting a critique so this is kind of my version of a critique from a professor
1: yeah that makes sense it's interesting you bring up the writing thing because I feel something I've always felt is that being forced to talk about your work or write about your work makes you contemplate what you're doing right versus just creating and like just putting it on Instagram or something you don't right. really take time to consider what it is, what's really motivating and what you're really doing. And then to actually communicate that to somebody in a way that doesn't lose them or it's like, Oh, it's just art speak. <laughs> you know, like that makes no sense.
0: I do get frustrated at times when I have to write an artist statement and I just want to say, I love taking photographs. <laughs> like,
1: right. <laughs> that is why I'm
0: doing this <laughs> because I love it. <laughs> yeah. And So there is part of me from working in a gallery, I just hate the, I guess you could say the games you have to play or the hoops you have to jump through. And as much as I've hated it, I have found it beneficial, at least to myself, just the discipline of learning to articulate what I'm doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Definitely. That's great. So let's transition a little bit into weddings here. You mentioned it earlier. Currently... Are you doing many of them? Like how many do you do kind of in a year now or is it kind of fading away for you?
0: I shoot about 10 a year and that is perfect for me and for our family. I feel like I really enjoy weddings cause they challenge me in a different way. So just the dynamics with people and how to capture certain moments and in some ways they're very energizing and in some ways I'm thankful to still be able to shoot some every year. They fund, <laughs> they fund the film yeah. and the printing and the framing and everything else that goes into the fine art stuff. So, in that regards, I am extremely thankful for them because that's how I support myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's always interesting to hear how you just make a life out of being a photographer i think for everybody you have to kind of cobble it together a little bit differently
0: Mm -hmm. right
1: and there's no one way to live a photographic life and pay the bills and raise raise a family (laughs) and all that it's such a weird experience so i was curious yeah for you yeah like if it was you know art was the thing that you know you got some money from or if it's definitely the weddings that kind of keeps the lights on.
0: Yes, it's <laughs> the weddings that keep the film being developed, <laughs> right? So, but I do love them. It's just my heart is more with the art side, mm. and so I think I had a show in January of some images from the piece of my heart project and some images from Rodney. It was a dual show with a friend in a gallery here in Jackson. So it was the first official show like that. And since then, you know, I have a couple more coming up. And I'm hopeful that as that kind of progresses, I'll be able to pay for film that way. (laughs) But we'll see. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be able to let go of weddings completely because I just, I don't know. I love seeing people get married.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I was wondering how your pursuit of personal work has influenced your wedding work as you've done more and more personal work. How have you seen that affect how you shoot weddings or approach weddings?
0: I think it's made me more confident and calm Mm -hmm. when I'm at a wedding and interacting with people that I don't necessarily know. I think it's also helped me not stress out as much about... Branding myself as a wedding photographer. And honestly, I think it's probably helped me not stress out about, should I do a styled shoot? Should I do this? Should I do that? It's just like people get married and it is, you know, a wonderful, unique thing, but it doesn't have to be so styled. Right. And I love those weddings and I love the way they look. But most people are not having that sort of wedding And so how do I give them images that accurately convey the poetry of their wedding day when they haven't had a stylist or a great florist or whatever? And so I like that challenge. I'm thinking about it now, and I wonder if it's almost like documenting small towns. (laughs) Mm. You know, you're finding the beauty in the emotion of the day when... By industry standards, it might not be there.
1: (laughs) Right. It's more about the look of the day versus the...
0: I know none of that is very politically correct to say. Oh,
1: this is not a politically correct podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like especially here, we're not getting the latest trends. And so still doing my job well and making sure the pride feels appreciated and beautiful. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I like that challenge. And I think that my personal work has influenced that as just as I've become more confident and settled in it. so
1: Yeah, that's great. So let's see, let's talk about how do you balance being a photographer and a parent? I think everybody wants mm-hmm. to know how you kind of do the work-life balance thing.
0: I have struggled with that. I feel like there was a year where my husband and I will both say that I lived behind the computer screen editing And that was probably within Mary Mack's first two years. So she was only probably two when I was coming out of that. So I was obsessive about like getting editing and doing all the things I felt like you're supposed to do, you know, work-wise. And then I just realized this isn't going to work for our family. I'm not present and I'm not happy. No one's happy. (laughs) So shooting film has actually really, really helped with my work family balance because I have a color profile with Richard and the majority of the times the kids are with me when I'm taking photos. And so it's something that we can do together. You know, we'll just get out of the house and go see a new town or go ride around and watch the trains or something like that. But I always have my camera with me and I'm always shooting. And then the film can, you know, sit around for a month or two before I send it off, and there isn't the same pressure that I have, you know, 300 photos that I haven't uploaded, and that I haven't edited,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you
0: know, all of that. It's just a roll of film sitting on the counter, and I just haven't mailed it yet, and when I do and I get it back, I don't mess with it at all. It's just, that's why I love having a color profile, because it's the way I want it to be, And so that has cut back dramatically on how much time I spend on the computer, which was one of the main issues in balancing work and family. And I've also found when I do client work, I usually just save that for after the kids go to bed. For a couple hours each night <laughs> or during nap time i enforce a strict nap time <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> and if you're not yeah. going to
0: sleep you have to stay in your room and right. play quietly <laughs> so Read a book. i have about two hours in the afternoon and two and a half hours at night mm. when you don't have a ton of time you can get a lot done <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah deadlines motivate yes yeah that's the one thing about film i think that it is more expensive but if you do have a great relationship with a lab that they're really nailing your scans, that it's basically like they're your almost your editor. Right. So it'd be the same as if you shot digital, but you had a person that you paid just to edit everything for you. Right. And then you just went and just picked the ones you liked. Right. But you didn't have to like process them all to get the color grading That would be nice. <laughs> it's kind of the same way, you know. If you're a digital you could spend money doing that. It would be the same as a lab bill. Yes, I guess
0: that's true. So, for some reason, I always have a harder time justifying getting someone to do that with my digital work. But for film, it's just like, well, someone has to process it. Right. (laughs) You know, they might as well do the color profile too. Right. They're there. Yeah. Right. That's funny.
1: Yeah. I think that's good advice. And just, it's interesting how you balance it. I like it. The other thing is just Instagram for me. Mm -hmm. What role does that play for you in your photography?
0: I, you like it hate it i love instagram yeah i love it and i hate it i love it because i love the friends the actual real friends that i've made through instagram and that i have then spent time with in real life and like some of the connections like ray larose up in new hampshire he does like new england photo walks but he and i met We were both doing our color profile with Richard at the same time, but he's become a great friend and he's helping me get Southeastern photo walks started. I'll do that once a year down here in the South and he's doing them up in the Northeast. But anyway, he's been a great friend that I've met through Instagram and Lauren Kim has been another really good friend. Anyway, I've made really good friends. I think I sometimes dislike the... (sighs) whether an image gets likes or not affects how I look at that image. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain images that I love and that I think are actually, you know, a great photograph, but it just doesn't get the same reception in likes. And then I start second guessing myself,
1: right. <laughs> which,
0: you know, is stupid, but I do. <laughs> and then photos where I'm just kind of like, eh, it's fine, you know? And then it just gets a bunch of likes. I'm like, this is stupid, <laughs> you know? and I don't know if it's because one's of a person and one's of a plant anyway. So that aspect of Instagram is (sighs) bothers me some, and I don't like the new algorithm where you have to be on it in order to be seen. Mm -hmm. I would prefer just to be able to pop on a couple of times a week, but I feel like there's a new pressure. If you're going to stay current to post regularly and comment regularly and, and that sort of thing. And, I've gotten to the point where I'm okay just kind of using it the way I want to use it and probably not having it as manicured (laughs) as it is, just kind of being a little more relaxed. So Mm -hmm. I do enjoy it and I enjoy it way more than Facebook. So I'm starting to think about how (laughs) like the whole, like it is for images and for photographers and yet it almost is a disservice to individual images. Yes. Because you don't spend the amount of time looking at it that you need to. Right. One way I deal with that is just by not following as many people so that I can actually see what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll rotate through and look at other people's work, but following people that I can actually just like keep up with engaging with. <laughs> and that's just my personality. I can't have too much... Visual stimulus.
1: Yeah, totally. Instagram is not a great medium for uh, encouraging contemplation. That's for sure.
0: So. Right. That's, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's,
1: uh, oh, that's cute. Click. Right. Yeah, that's cute. Right. Click. Oh, that, yeah. that's kind of cool. Click. Yeah, it's hard to get away from putting any stock in likes, but right. yeah, you've got a lot of great work on there, though. So I mean, definitely people need to check you out. You know, I'll put the link to your Instagram on the show notes and everything. So (laughs) let's talk about the photo. You have a story about, I'm really curious.
0: Oh yeah. The photo of Leroy. Yeah. So when we left Takapola last July, we've, we're living in Jackson now. So it's a bigger city. And so my visual landscape has changed from predominantly agricultural to, you know, a city. And so I found that I've been photographing more buildings and signs and things like that, because that's just what is around me. And as I've been photographing buildings, there are always people around. And I just, I've been working up my <laughs> courage to just talk to people and get their story and photograph them. And the picture of Leroy, I was actually in Alabama, I was doing a shoot on the G's Bend quilters in Alabama, and if you're not familiar with their quilts, check them out, because they're amazing. So I was driving through like the Black Belt region of Alabama, and my sister was with me, and my, I think Tallulah, my little girl, and she's like four or five months old at the time, and I drove past this tire shop and all I saw was like this white beard and the man just sitting there. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, mm-hmm. told my sister, I was like, Carrie, I really want to take a picture of him. And she's like, well, turn around. And I was like, no, I know you're hungry. Cause she was pregnant. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten lunch. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, if I turn around, I was like, it's going to be at least like 30 minutes. And she was like, no, it's fine. You can turn around. I was like, no, you need to eat. And then I was like, no, I'm really going to regret this if I don't yeah. turn around. And so she was like, it's fine. It's fine. So I turned around and I went back and I pulled up and I got out of the car and I was like, my heart was pounding. Cause I was like, you know, normally I don't like, do a drive by and then come back and and photograph someone normally I'm like walking so it's a little makes a little more sense but I got out of the car and I walked up and I said hey I'm Ashley I was like I drove by I was like I had to turn around because like I just really love your beard (laughs) he just laughed (laughs) and so I just talked to him about how long he'd been working there and he's worked at that tire shop I think he said off and on for 30 something years wow and so he was from the town and we talked a little bit about that. And then I said, you know, would you mind if I, you know, photographed you? And he was like, oh no, that's fine. So I took, you know, normally I just like want to take one or two shots and then like leave because I don't want to inconvenience the person. But I was like, no, I'm going to just like slow down. And so I think I shot a whole roll or at least the most of a roll of him and I I asked him about his chair. He sits in that chair and then there was another chair on the other side and that was the boss's chair. <laughs> <And so laughs> he was just waiting, I guess, for people to come by and get their tires fixed or whatever. Yeah. But I got his name and I asked him if I could send him, you know, a photograph later. And he said, he's like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have a mailbox. And He's like, go next door to the hardware store. And he's like, you can send it to the boss. And so I walk next door and there are these old guys in there and they're like, we saw you drive by. They're like, are you with the historical society? And I was like, (laughs) no, I'm not. (laughs) I just, I was like, I really loved, you know, Leroy sitting out there and they're like, Oh, Leroy. And then they, you know, they kind of launched into some stories about the town and the business, how long they'd been there and anyway if I was going to mail it I was going to mail it to them and they would give it to him but I ended up driving back through that area unexpectedly a couple months later and I had the photo in the car and so I just kind of made it was a little bit out of my way but I stopped by and Leroy was still outside
1: <laughs>
0: <And so laughs> I gave it to him I guess some people he knew were there and they all laughed and you know, said his beard was famous, and he was never going to be able to cut it again. Right. <laughs> you know, and he was just kind of quiet, and he kind of grinned, and then he like got in the car and drove off to like you know check whatever was wrong with it. He didn't stick around to check because he had to work. But I was glad I got to deliver it in person.
1: Nice. So, so you just gave it how big of a print?
0: It was just I gave him just five by five. Yeah, I think I gave him four or five the best shots. From that series, yeah. and one of just the plane chair right. <laughs> because I think that one's funny. Yeah. So that interaction with him, I love it, and it just makes me smile, and it makes me want to, you know, talk to more people. Yeah. So we'll see.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're busy, so no, I enjoyed was, it. This was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to. This episode with Ashley Coleman. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at Ashley Coleman. You spell her first name as A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H and Coleman. You can find her there on Instagram. She's got uh, some amazing pictures on there that are not on her website. Also, thanks to James Sweeting for editing and mixing this episode. And make sure to support the podcast at patreon.com musea. If you need prints, matting, or framing, we can do that for you through the Musea Lab. You can learn more at musealab.com. Thanks so much. See you in two weeks.